Hello, and welcome to the Clinical Care Options Infectious Disease Podcast. I'm your host, Zachary Schwartz. In today's episode, we ask, how does obesity affect the risk of COVID-19? How do social determinants of health impact those with obesity and metabolic syndrome when it comes to COVID-19 outcomes? To answer these questions, we're joined by Dr. Rasika Karnik at the University of Chicago. For more information on Dr. Karnik and for more from this program, please visit the show notes for this episode. Now, let's get started and hear from Dr. Karnik. Moving on to the stigma of obesity. Stigma is actually defined by the World Obesity Federation as the discriminatory acts and ideologies targeted towards individuals because of their weight and size, essentially because of their health condition. And that weight stigma has negative effects for patients in all aspects of their life, socially, psychologically, and physically. And unfortunately, weight stigma is prevalent across many settings, including our own, the healthcare setting. And medical professionals have been shown to display both implicit bias, which is an unconscious act with no intention of doing it, and explicit bias, which is a conscious act due to your own prejudice and stereotype with intention, and you're fully aware. As we've discussed earlier, both obesity and COVID-19 disproportionately affect people, racial and ethnic minority groups. And so there's a higher prevalence of obesity in Hispanic and non-Hispanic Black individuals. And these folks are more likely to experience severe COVID-19, including hospitalization, marked impairment, mortality, and also severe morbidity, as just mentioned. And racial and ethnic minority groups have faced numerous inequities in the U.S., leading to increased risk of getting sick and dying from COVID-19. And how is race associated with COVID-19 risk. Um, There was a paper that was published in NEDGEM in 2020, so early on in the pandemic, where they looked at about 3,700 patients that tested positive for COVID-19 in the Oxner Health System. And Black patients comprise of only 31% of the Oxner Health population, but almost 80% of patients who were hospitalized with COVID-19 were Black, despite the fact that this population, the Black population, only comprised of a third of the entire health population. About 71% of patients who died from COVID-19 were Black. And these are tough numbers. It's almost double the number of patients that are Black in that population. They're very much disproportionately affected by COVID-19. And interestingly, Black race was not associated with higher mortality than white race after adjustment for the type of insurance the residents in low-income area, and clinical markers of more advanced disease at presentation. So it makes you think that folks just that have lower socioeconomic status may be at increased risk for higher mortality. And why are there racial and ethnic disparities in COVID-19 outbreaks? Unfortunately, the BIPOC communities, which is defined as Black, Indigenous, and people of color, are overrepresented in essential jobs, placing them at higher risk for exposure to SARS-CoV-2. They are overrepresented in low-wage jobs that do not provide or provide insufficient levels of health insurance, paid sick leave, childcare, and remote work options. And they're more likely to live in residentially segregated settings with high housing density, live in multi-generational households with limited space for physical distancing, and have poor access to healthy food options. And they also experience increased levels of chronic stress. It's a new term that's called weathering, resulting from structural racism that's encountered in other settings aside from the healthcare setting, increased instance of violence and everyday aggressions. 
for me as a primary care physician, sometimes these issues feel like things that I shouldn't have to worry about my patients. This is not my job. I can't figure this stuff out. And while that may be true, I do think it's very important that we are cognizant of these issues and that we do have some situational awareness of being able to refer to social work if there are issues that we can help with. And also it helps us counsel patients with why their risk for some diseases may be higher as opposed to other folks. And these disparities, they translate into treatment disparities as well. So not only just being diagnosed with COVID, but there was a study done in 2022, is actually in the CDC MMR, looking at people treated with nirmatrelvir and ritonavir. And folks that are over age 20, there was a lower rate of being treated with nirmatrelvir and ritonavir among Black people versus white people and 30% lower among the Hispanic population. And these disparities persisted across all age groups and in people with immunocompromise. And some of the contributing factors that are hypothesized are limited access to timely treatments, in general, just not having great access to um, a healthcare facility or healthcare providers, prior negative experience with the healthcare system that prevents folks from actually engaging and seeking out help, lack of technology for telehealth services, Right? It's hard to get time off of work. You're also feeling ill. It's difficult to go someplace in person. Lack of transportation, limited knowledge of treatment options, and language barriers. And we've talked about this too, the increased risk of long COVID in folks that have metabolic syndrome and obesity. But there is some socioeconomic and racial ethnic disparities related to COVID. And it's interesting, there's a difference in symptoms seen in hospitalized versus non-hospitalized patients. And even between that, there's a difference between Black patients and Hispanic patients in what symptoms they are experiencing with long COVID. Pulmonary embolism and joint pain kind of see that it's more prevalent within the Black population. But what's actually very interesting is despite having these uh, symptoms, the patients in the U.S. that are more likely to be diagnosed with long COVID are non-Hispanic white females in areas with low poverty and and I do think that in part is related to the lack of access to health care and potentially just not seeking out care, being unaware of long COVID as a diagnosis. Uh, and in addition, the fact that different um, races are seeing different symptoms for PASC, it underscores importance for diversity in clinical trials and research projects. As a primary care doctor, I certainly see obesity quite frequently. And there are several things that we can do to help patients and ways to address it. I think the first and foremost is emphasizing that obesity is not a disease or a lack of willpower. It's not somebody's encouraging appropriate nutrition and exercise, listening with compassion and empathizing. And even if you don't agree with something, a patient is telling you, listening and hearing them out, and we're trying to understand where they're coming from. And that helps improve the patient-provider relationship vaccination and early testing and treatment when necessary, counseling patients on preventative care, and then initiating weight reduction strategies prior to COVID-19 infection. And it's really important for us as uh, medical professionals to take this time to realize that people with obesity are disproportionately affected with negative health outcomes. And this is a time to say to patients, let's talk about this. Obesity is a problem. And we have multiple ways of addressing it, be it medication, coaching, nutrition, referrals to bariatric surgery. 
but broaching the topic and knowing that we may not fix it in one clinic visit and it may take several years, but it's still really important for us to talk about. For patients with obesity during the COVID-19 pandemic, these are just some pillars of health that frankly I think could be used for all patients, getting enough sleep, moving your body, adequate nutrition, trying to eat a non-processed diet and eating lots of fresh fruits and vegetables, things we tell every patient, and also taking care of their mental health and their well-being. And some challenges to COVID-19 vaccination are important for us to be cognizant of as healthcare professionals so that we can help advocate for changes for our patients and for more resources. So there's education, income and wealth gaps, job access and working conditions. What if you're working the night shift? It's tough for you to come to morning appointments, being cognizant of that and seeing where are there other opportunities for folks to get vaccines or their community health fairs. Discrimination, including racism, healthcare access gaps, lack of transportation of vaccination site. You know, in the city of Chicago, we actually had a program where people could have uh, vaccinations at home, and that was very helpful to many of our patients. And then lack of trust in the healthcare system. That is a systemic issue that needs to be addressed, but we can do that slowly and slowly with our own interactions. With respect to vaccine hesitancy, which there is still a fair amount of, Open-ended questions are helpful, motivational interviewing, talking to patients about what their health goals are, why they may feel that they don't want to get vaccine, what the issue actually is, and then also explaining to them why you are worried and why you recommend it. Guiding principles for motivational interviewing, so um, resisting the right to the writing reflex, right? Listening, open-ended, even if you don't agree, just listen and explain your point of view, and maybe not saying, you know what, you're wrong, just Allow them to say what they believe and what they have learned throughout their experiences in the healthcare system. Understand and explore the patient's own motivations. Listen with empathy and empower the patient. Give them goals. Tell them we'll work on your goals. We're going to prioritize what you want with your health. You don't want to take medications. We don't need to do that. We don't need to force things, but we can meet them where the patient is. Emphasizing obesity as a disease, not a behavior. Focusing on the fact that it's not just calories in, calories out. There are multiple things at play with respect to weight. When you're talking about a patient's weight, we need it to be patient-centered, empathetic, unbiased, free of judgment, shame, and guilt. Focus on health rather than weight. Okay, we want the best health outcome. For you. We want to decrease the risk of you having diabetes and having chronic kidney disease from that. Thinking about it as a family endeavor, too, for some of my patients, where the whole family could benefit from healthier options and trying to focus on better outcomes for their health, using it as a way for them to do something together. Performed using appropriate terminology and people-first language, right? So say that you are a person, or Mr. X, you have obesity, or that you're affected by obesity. We don't want to say you're an obese patient, or you are fat. Morbid obesity is no longer an acceptable. Essentially, we're trying to convey the increased risks that obesity carries in COVID-19 while focusing on shared decision-making and providing practical options to assist with mitigating risk for um, severe outcomes with COVID-19. What do we tell patients with obesity during the COVID-19 pandemic or if they do have any health issues? Take your medications if you're getting treated for um, a COVID-19 infection. There's no evidence that ACE inhibitors or ARBs increase your risk for COVID-19. Do not delay seeking care. Call, get tested, practice social distancing when in high-risk situations, wear a mask when in high-risk situations, it's going to hurt, and wash your hands frequently and practice healthy lifestyle habits. I think it's really things we tell most of our patients. There are some 
strategies to overcome COVID-19 health inequities, communicating to patients, using simple language, using uh, interpreters, vaccines, at-home testing kits, access to on-site testing locations. These are more systemic issues that perhaps you can advocate your health system or if you are in private practice to know where you can send your patients after hours and on the weekend, because that's always when patients need a test when your office is closed. Also using telehealth, it helps uh, minimize travel barriers. It also prevents the spread of COVID or other uh, infectious diseases that someone may have from spreading to other patients in the clinic. An interesting thing too is the FDA has authorized pharmacists to prescribe nirmatrelvir and rotonavir to eligible patients. And it's essentially to expand timely access. Pharmacists may decline if they're unable to assess renal and hepatic function, if they can't assess a drug interaction, and if medication modification is needed because of an interaction, or if it's not an appropriate therapeutic option, perhaps if their renal function is great. Another thing to keep in mind is that there is a greater risk for severe SARS-CoV-2 illness at a younger age for patients with obesity. Counsel your younger patients about the fact that, hey, they may be at increased risk and that you would treat them with nirmatrelvir or ritonavir if they did contract COVID. There is an interplay between social determinants of health, COVID-19 risk, and obesity, the embarrassment and reluctance to engage in care, immobility, access to care, transport due to weight, potentially difficult IV access for remdesivir, and individuals with obesity and members of racial and ethnic minority communities, they're at increased risk for severe outcomes and hospitalizations. So we need to prioritize healthcare outreach and engagement for these populations. Effective communication is key to reducing inequities. We need to do everything we can to reduce barriers to COVID-19 vaccination, testing, and treatment options. Thank you very much, Dr. Karnick, and thanks to you, our listeners, for joining us. As a reminder, click on the link in the show notes to view the full program, Managing COVID-19 in Individuals with Metabolic Syndrome and Obesity. You can download the slide set showing key data from the various studies mentioned in this discussion. And as always, thanks for listening.